All right, so uh, some of the memories that keep me up at night are memories where I tried to comfort someone uh, when they were in the midst of like their pain and suffering, and then I failed at it. <laughs> like these are the things that keep me up at night. Uh, just two two quick stories of that happening. Like I just sometimes I just feel like I'm so bad at comforting someone in the midst of their pain and misery, and I like make it worse, honestly. And so one time in high school, there's a group of us friends all hanging out, and there's this gal in this group that I don't know very well, but I, I was in class with her boyfriend. And so I'm trying to like, you know, get to know her, make her feel welcome in the friend group. And I, I say, oh, hey, how's your, how's your boyfriend doing? And she just goes, oh, we're, we're not dating anymore. <laughs> And I'm just like, oh, uh, sorry, like, sorry about that. And then it was just kind of like this, this awkward silence, you know, this is the classic, like, awkward silence. And then conversation starts going again, and things are fine. And then I'm like, okay, I'm going to redeem this. I'm going to help this get better. And so I circle back around, and I'm like, hey, so, like, when did you guys break up? Like, just trying to, like, press into that. And she goes, yeah, you're laughing now because that's probably a bad question. I just went, when did you guys break up? And she goes, last class period. <laughs> And I just, I think I'm like, I just, I'm not going to ask any more questions. <laughs> and so, and so things like that keep me up at night. Sometimes I just take such a wrong turn in trying to help comfort someone. Here's another story. Uh, this happened in fifth grade, but in fifth grade, me and my buddy <laughs> were out in my front yard and we're eating hot Cheetos as you are prone to as a fifth grader. And so we're eating hot Cheetos together and we have this like outside towel we're using to wipe off the hot Cheeto dust. Okay. If anyone that's eat, eating hot Cheetos knows, it's like. It just sticks to you. So we had this towel that we're wiping all the hot Cheeto dust off. off. Somehow, my buddy, he gets hot Cheeto dust in his eyes. <laughs> and then he's yelling, give me something to clean my eyes with. Okay, now I didn't like going inside because my dad slept during the day because he worked at nights. And so I, I'm like, I gave him the towel with the hot Cheeto dust on it. And he starts wiping it, and he's like, there's more hot Cheetos dust in my eyes. Why would you hand me this? I was like, I don't have any other towels. Like, this is all I, I have. And so I'm just, I can be really bad at comforting people a lot of times, and, and it keeps me up at night. The first memory, cringing. The second memory, laughing. And so th this is just kind of who I am. We as humans, and, and myself in particular, we can, just, we're just, we can be bad at comforting each other. And here is the corny connection to what we're talking about today. But God, he is often in the business of comforting us. Like when you read the Bible and you look at his words and you see what God is trying to do with his words in the Bible, he is trying to comfort us. And the good news about God is he's actually good at it. Like he's, he's not going to fail at it. Even at sometimes when his words ring hollow, we can know that his words are good and true. And, and there's other things going on probably for why they ring hollow. And so... Uh, what's amazing about God, too, in his comforting of us is he, he when he comforts us, he knows, he knows what it's like to be human because he is the only God who said, I'm going to take on human flesh and live as a human it, it, for one of the reasons being to just connect with us, to help us know that he knows us, to help us know that he could say, me too, to us, and, and, and that could connect to us in some way. But he's also good at comforting us because in one sense... The message of a lot of the Bible is that in the midst of our sufferings, God is suffering with us. He's not suffering away from us, but he's suffering with us. And even some of the words of Scripture make it sound like, God, like, some, like some part of him 
is suffering while we suffer. And so that, this is kind of what we've been learning in Romans since last week. We, we saw that in a lot of the verses that we were in last week, that, that there is this universal experience of human suffering that, that happens for a, a few different reasons, but God wants to comfort us in the midst of our suffering. So if you're new here, we're in this series where we're going through Romans chapter 8, and we're just going a few verses at a time through Romans chapter 8, because there's just so much jam-packed. If you really want a culmination of a lot of Paul's theology, Paul who wrote a lot of the New Testament, a lot of the letters in the New Testament, uh, Romans chapter 8 is a great culmination of a lot of his theology, but because of that, it's really jam-packed. And we're calling this, this series Life in the Spirit because all throughout Romans chapter 8, we see how the Holy Spirit is so integrated into the life of the believer. Like the, the Holy Spirit and the believer have this union. Like their, their lives are, are lived together is a lot of what Romans 8 is getting at. And so last week we talked about suffering. It was a great Mother's Day message. And we talked about uh, creational suffering and Christian suffering. And, and the, but we also talked about how God wants to comfort us with some of those promises in the midst of our suffering. I encourage you to go back and listen to that if, if that's something that you wrestle with or, or, or looking to be encouraged by. I don't know if it was an encouraging message. You could tell me. Um, but this week, what we're seeing in these verses is God continues this message of comfort. Like God sees our suffering he sees the pain we're going through as humans, and he writes this message to his people, and all throughout are these words of comfort, and we see, even in just these three verses, more ways that God wants us to be comforted. More ways he wants us to see in the midst of our pain that he's saying, man, I, I want to comfort you, I want to help you, I want to see that I want to comfort you. And so today, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go through these three verses, we're just going to read through those three verses, and then we're going to see how God wants to comfort us in a couple of different ways, okay? So the two ways that he wants to comfort us is, one, through his prayerful spirit, and two, by letting us know how he is working with history, how he's in control of history behind the scenes. He's kind of letting us get a picture of, of how he is sovereign over history behind the scenes. So let's start by reading uh, these three verses in Romans chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 26. I like when we just do a few verses because we can read them multiple times in the service and kind of get them more ingrained in us. But verse 26 of Romans chapter 8 says this. In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. So, as Paul, Paul is bringing more information to the people of God to comfort them. Like, the, the reality that the Christians lived in in Paul's day was often full of way more suffering than you or I go through uh, because of persecution, these different kinds of things. But I, I think he also realized there's, there's Christians that aren't going through a lot of suffering. They're just going through the suffering of being a human. And I think that's part of why 
Paul mentions that creational suffering that we talked about last week. But Paul wants to bring more words to comfort this, this people in the midst of their suffering. And so the first way that we see really God through Paul trying to comfort us is to let us know about his prayerful spirit. His prayerful spirit. So we've been saying this every week just to be clear. We believe that the Holy Spirit is God. We believe in a triune God or the Trinity. And so we believe God is one in three distinct persons, Father, Son, Spirit. And uh, if you want to ask me how that works, I don't know, okay? I don't know. It's something, I, I, as a legitimate like, Christian, it's something I wrestle with like once a month, where I'm like, that doesn't make sense to me, right? But the, so we believe that the Holy Spirit is God, and in these verses, what Paul is communicating is that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is praying and groaning with us. Right, last week in the verses, we saw two different groups or things groaning. We saw creation itself groaning under the weight of sin. And then we saw hu- humans, us, groaning under the weight of sin and suffering and pain. And in these verses this week, we're seeing that not only does creation groan, not only do we groan, but the Holy Spirit himself is groaning with us. And, and he's, he, these groans are, are some sort of prayer. This is like what that, that word intercede means. It means like the Holy Spirit is talking to God the Father. The Holy Spirit is interceding. You find other places in the New Testament where intercede is used uh, for, for praying in, a, in certain ways, particularly when you're kind of like contending or for someone type of a thing. This is one of my favorite things. That the, that the New Testament tries to communicate all throughout the New Testament. The New Testament is constantly trying to tell us God is always with you. God is always with you. Even in your suffering. And I feel like that's good news because anyone that's suffered knows how isolating of a place suffering can be. And so God wants to comfort us with these words by saying, hey, when when suffering is going on, whether you see it or you don't see it, I'm with you. I'm helping you. In fact, I'm groaning with you. In fact, I'm praying for you. My groans are actually prayers for you as a person. We, we, something we have to see here in this Life in the Spirit series and in these verses is we have a God who is not only united to us, Something mysterious happened in the cross and the resurrection where God united himself to us. But not only is he united to us, but he wants to be united to us. He longs to be united to us. So so much so that he groans with us when we groan. The Holy Spirit living in us, part of us, with us, groans in us as we groan. And so I think, I think God often can feel far off. I think often the caricature of Christianity is that he's a God that's, that's kind of far off. But one of the messages he wants to make sure that we get in the New Testament is he's not far off. He's close. He's with us. He's near us. He's so close that his, he, he shares our groans with us. 
And so, and so one of the ways that we see this closeness of the Holy Spirit is the Spirit hears our groans. The Holy Spirit hears our prayers that are like groans. And then the, the Spirit grow, groans this like even better prayer to God the Father for us. So I, I, actually, I want to describe the Holy Spirit in two metaphors. Hopefully this is not blasphemous. And so there's two kind of images that I want to use to, to describe the Holy Spirit. What I see that the Holy Spirit is like here. Who I think the Holy Spirit is. And it's two things. One thing is I think the Holy Spirit is like a little old lady. And the second thing is I think the Holy Spirit is like an anonymous advocate. Okay. So first, I think the Holy Spirit's like a, a little old lady here. Now, some of you are cringing at that word, but there should be a lot more dignity and honor we give to the little old ladies of the church, right? It's not a bad thing to be a little old lady. Our culture says it's a bad thing. God doesn't, right? And so, plus, besides, at our church, everyone's young and vibrant and strong, right? Like, there's no, uh, we don't age here. And so, but, but I think, I, th- I really think of the Holy Spirit as a little old lady here because in every church I've ever been a part of, it has always been the little old ladies praying for me. Always. Something about little old ladies get it. And they are the ones who are during the week praying for me when I didn't even ask for prayer. Maybe they saw some of my issues. I don't know. But during, no, well, that's not actually what it was. During, they like so love me and care about me that during the week in their own prayer times away from me, they're praying for me. They're thinking about me. They're caring about me. Every church I've ever been in, little old lady's doing that. Out of love. Out of understanding how important prayer is. Out of understanding how important our walk with God is. And so, I think the Holy Spirit's a little bit like a little old lady here. I think that's what these verses are saying. Is like, whether you know it or not, as you walk through life, as you're groaning, as things are painful, as things are difficult, as you're crying out, laments to God, asking, where are you? Why are you allowing this? Why are you doing this? The Holy Spirit, as a little old lady, is praying for you prayers that you need. Prayers that are so, so vital. Just going to the Father and saying, he or she needs this. We, we, let's bless them with this. Let's pray this. Let's, I can't, like, this is who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is a little bit like a little old lady. But I also think the Holy Spirit is like an anonymous advocate. The Holy Spirit is advocating for us. So an advocate, an advocate to me is someone who uses their, their time or their position or their voice or their giftings to, to help someone other than themselves. Often, I feel like the advocate is the person like, I don't have to help this person, but I'm going to use my gift or my voice or my whatever to help this person in some ways. I don't, have you, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you, have you ever been in a situation where someone advocated for you? And when I've been in that situation, how I find out is not usually because the advocate comes up to me saying, hey, I've been advocating for you. I've been doing this thing to make sure. Sometimes, sure. But, but often what happens is the, the, the people that are affected by the advocate, they are the ones that come up to me. And they're going, hey, this guy, he let me know about this part of your story or this guy let me know about this part of your life right now and I just wanted to come alongside and help or I wanted to show more empathy or I wanted to care for you more I wanted to love you more. 
And in those moments, and often I feel like for the advocate, like there's this, um, there's, for me at least, there's almost this like, why would you? Like, why would you do that for me? And the advocate, I think, would say, this person, whoever it is, at different points in my life, would say, because I, I just care about you. And so when I, when I found out that someone had been anonymously, like, advocating for me in certain ways, it is easily one of the ways that, I, that I've felt most loved. Where I go, this person, like, loves me and cares about me. An advocate is the kind of person that like, defends you behind your back and doesn't go up to you, oh, I was defending you. I think the Holy Spirit is like this sort of advocate. Right? The Holy Spirit cares about us this much. The Holy Spirit wants to help us this much. The Holy Spirit is talking to God the Father on your behalf. And I will say this, don't get stuck on the redundancy of that situation like I do a lot. Like, okay, talking to yourself. Like, I don't know, like... Don't get stuck on the redundancy of the Spirit going to the Father and advocating for you. Get stuck on the fact that the Holy Spirit so loves you. And and the Holy Spirit is so with you that as you groan, the Holy Spirit is praying these perfect prayers for you in love, advocating for you when you don't even know what is the help it is that you need. God's own life, his own love, his own energy is tied to you, Christian. It's tied to you. His life, his love, his energy is tied to you. Especially, it seems like, as I read the word, especially in the midst of your pain and suffering. That's who God is. And that's another way he wants us to be comforted. When we're in the midst of our suffering, God wants us to know that as you're waiting on him, he's actually there with you, helping you in unseen ways, praying, pray, praying prayers for you that, that, that you can't hear. I, I think this is something that we need to get ingrained in us as believers. It's much easier to not believe this about God. It's much easier to not believe what God says about himself because of our experience with suffering and sin in this world. But we have to realize that God is here with us. And part of our waiting is because God is, he's renewing, he's on this mission to renew everything. He's on a mission to bring everyone into his family. And so he's not wrapping everything up yet and making everything like the resurrection yet. And and so because of that, we live in this time where God lives with us, alongside us, in us, through the Holy Spirit, in the midst of suffering and pain. And as we are in that pain and suffering, we have to remember, God has not abandoned us in this waiting period that we live in. He's right there with us, groaning with us, helping us, praying for us, advocating for us. That's what God is doing. Let those words comfort you. This is the first way these verses are trying to comfort us this morning. Okay, uh, the second way that God wants to comfort us is through verse 28 specifically. I'm going to reread verse 28. It says this, We know that all things work together for the good 
of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. So this verse, this, to be clear, it's a promise to, to all believers. So when, uh, think of that term with those who love him, think of it as just another way of saying like the people of God or Christians or something like that. Sometimes people read it and they go, oh, it's the quality of my love that will get God to work things toward my good. No, it's not, because if that was the case, we'd be in trouble. And maybe not we, but I would be in trouble because <laughs> the quality of my love for God is so low and so bad sometimes, a lot of the times. It's just another way that Paul is saying Christians, those that trust in Jesus. And so this verse is a promise to everyone that trusts in Jesus. And this verse has to be one of the best promises in all of Scripture. It's basically promising to us, the people of God, that our suffering is not in vain. In fact, not only is it not in vain, but our suffering is going to be used by God in some way to give us more good. Mysteriously, somehow, God is allowing us to go through suffering, but he's going to use all of that suffering for our goodness somehow. Suffering is the worst. Suffering is so isolating. Suffering makes you go, this universe is just full of chaos and I hate it. And so God says, hey, I know it seems that way, but I am actually behind all of history. And every time you experience suffering, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, I am working that toward your good in some way. God wants to comfort us with that. I've said this the last two weeks, and I'm going to say it again. Say what you will about Christianity. There's a lot of critiques, I, I get it. But Christianity promises the most. It promises the most. As you read the, the New Testament, as you read the Old Testament, you're just looking at the promises of God. It just promises the most for humanity. And the promise here is that God is ordering history in a way that your suffering will be used for your good in some way. God wants the knowledge of that to be something that comforts us. He's giving, a, he's giving us a glimpse of behind the scenes, how he is ruling and reigning. And he wants that to comfort us. Now again, I'm, I'll say this. This promise, this promise, it can sting to hear for those that have gone through like deep suffering in the room. You go, I, don't, I don't know, God. That does not seem true to me. I, I hate that, that, that for some in this room, this, this verse, it stings. You're, you're going, I, I, haven't, I haven't been able. I haven't been able to see the goodness that's been worked out for me through this. And I, I, I would just say continue to wrestle with that. Go back to the promises last week where God says, hey, one day we will be together and my glory and my goodness will dwarf your suffering and pain and make it like it's a distant memory. Like maybe that's the promise you, you go to in the midst of that. 
And so I, th- I just think it's good for us believers to realize that this promise that God is working all things toward our good, it's not always easy for us to believe. Sometimes you can very easily see how the goodness of God uh, worked towards you from a particular suffering. Often when I've gone through suffering moments in my life, I see how God was actually protecting me from all these sorts of things. Or I see how he was helping me uh, not give in to the sinfulness of myself, not fall prey to the sinfulness of myself by uh, allowing me to go through some sort of suffering. So sometimes you can see it. You know, okay, in hindsight... But, but, but sometimes you just, you can't see it. You can't see how God is doing it. And usually when you're in the midst of suffering, you definitely can't see it. And sometimes, even though you can see some of the good of what uh, God is doing somehow, mysteriously through this suffering, you're like, this, the suffering was, was way worse than the cost. Way worse, or way worse than the benefit, actually. And that's That's hard. And then sometimes I think our definition of goodness is different than God's definition of goodness. So the goodness that we think is being worked toward, we're like, why am I not getting this? And it's like, your definition of goodness is not the same as God's definition of goodness. He knows what's truly good. So all of that is how we wrestle with that verse, especially in the midst of suffering. But Christian, God wants to comfort you with that promise, regardless Regardless of how true it seems or doesn't seem to you, God wants to comfort you with that promise that even though life is painful, full of suffering, every bad thing that happens to you is going to be guided by him to ultimately give you more goodness. Your suffering's not in vain. Somehow he's going to pony up on that promise at some point. Right? You might go, okay, I'm going to talk to God about that, but okay, he seems pretty glorious. You might want to check yourself a little bit, but you can say, God, where he'll say, this is how, this is how I was giving you my goodness. You just couldn't see it at the time. I really think God is doing everything he can. He's working all of history, all of our suffering together for you to have more goodness, more good in your life. God is our parent. He's our father. He's not a drill sergeant. In the midst of suffering, you go, well, he must be our drill sergeant. No, he's our father. How a father works goodness toward us, to us. He wants goodness and flourishing for us. Paul emphatically wants us to to know that this is what God is doing in the midst of a history that's full of suffering. Let that promise comfort you. Figure out what it means to believe that promise. Figure out what it means to get that promise deep in your bones because in the moments where you're going through suffering, you're not going to want to believe that promise. It's not going to seem like that promise is real, even though it is. So much of God's reality often doesn't seem real to us in the midst of this sinful and broken world. And so we have to find ways to, to get the promises deep in us so that they can comfort us in times of suffering without that, like, really annoying Christian, like, God's working all things together for your good. And, like, get out of my face. Like, doesn't feel like it. I love that. Like, can we just talk about that for a second? When someone goes through suffering and you're saying that to someone, you are the worst. Like, 
okay? I don't know. Like, I, I, Paul, maybe they were like, Paul, come on, man. Like, I don't know. It's still true. But you got to have some tact, church, okay? Uh, let that promise be something that comforts us. One of the reasons I love God is because he gets, he gets how painful and, and full of suffering this world is. Uh, one of the reasons I love God is he acknowledges it. We talked about this a little bit last week. So many philosophies and religions and ideas try to get you to go like, oh, it's all just mind over matter. It's all just how you perceive suffering. You can overcome it and all this stuff. I love that God's like, yeah, that's a bummer. <laughs> like, that's, that's really hard. That's really painful. And because he knows how painful it is for us, he's just constantly peppering in his word us with words of comfort. And so today, today he, he told us he's always actively helping us. He, he's praying for us. He's with us. And he's working history out in our favor. But he's not just a God that's doing that far off. He's a God that, that, that stepped into this way of life, this moment of history himself. Like God took on flesh himself and stepped into this world and subjected himself to suffering. So that when we pray to him and the Holy Spirit is praying for us, God knows exactly what we mean by our prayers. God knows exactly what it's like to be human. And even the cross, the cross itself, the cross of Christ, it is a reminder that God subjected himself to these things kinds of things. Jesus had to live through suffering and pain so that more goodness could come back into this world. Like the, the atrocity of the cross is, is a huge example of how God can take a moment in history full of suffering and pain and sadness and blood and not just work it toward a single individual's goodness, but for the goodness and toward the goodness of all of humanity. Because the cross led to the resurrection. And the resurrection is something God wants to share with everybody. And so God wants to comfort us with these words, church. May we be comforted today. May we realize that God is with us. For those of us in the room, may we through somehow have an extra dose of that promise this morning ringing true in us. May we have eyes to see and hearts to trust that he is working all things together for our good. Amen, church? Amen. Let's pray. God, we love you and we need you. I want to lift up the sufferers in the room right now, God. I don't know how to I don't know how to believe this verse sometimes and the sufferers in the room don't know either. It doesn't seem true, it doesn't seem real. And so God, I pray right now somehow in this moment in this service through your word through this week, would you for the sufferers in the room convince them that's true. Let them know that's true. Let them see that's true or at least give them the strength to trust in you and you that that's true. 
God, thank you for being a God who wants to comfort us. Thank you for being a God who loves us so much. Thank you for being a God that constantly comforts us in all sorts of ways. Even just this year, God, of the different series that we've been in, just constant words of comfort. And so, God, may we be comforted by that. May we see what you're, you're trying to do with this body and comfort us. So, Lord, please help us to not have hard hearts toward it. Soften our hearts. Help us to see how this is true and how you are comforting us. We love you, Lord, and we need you. Amen.